1: Hello, welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. My guest today is Todd Weaver. Todd founded Synergy Commercial Real Estate, which is a boutique firm specializing in commercial real estate investment brokerage. He is a licensed real estate broker, licensed general contractor, certified property manager, and certified commercial investment member. Todd possesses over 30 years of experience in the business with a background that includes developing and repositioning 5 million square feet, successfully completing hundreds of complex commercial lease and sales transactions, and Todd is on the faculty at UCLA Extension where he teaches finance and commercial real estate. In fact, I took a course with Todd this summer on commercial real estate investment analysis. And this is the reason why I wanted to bring Todd onto the show. So whether you're a first-time real estate investor or a seasoned professional like me, there's always more to learn. And in our episode, Todd discusses the commercial real estate landscape with an emphasis on his home market, the Los Angeles market, and whether and how it is a leading indicator in real estate And then we get into some technical, some of the things that I learned through my formal training and education with Todd. Why investors should focus on the discount rate and how we're all getting cap rate wrong. He addresses frequently asked questions about the economic environment, interest rates, leverage, and duration, amongst the other very important data points to consider when investing. And I will say, that all sounds very complex, but in reality, the concepts are simple. And if we focus on those simple concepts, it makes our investing much easier. So with that, I will go and let's just cut the part there and say with that, I thoroughly enjoyed having Todd on my podcast instead of being a student, and I know that. That you will enjoy this episode as much as I did. Todd, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Adipia. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> it's so nice to see you again. You too. Maybe you know, probably the audience of people that 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 know me don't know this, but I took a real estate analysis, real estate investment analysis course with Todd in the Ooh. summer because one should always be learning and improving. And I must say, that even though I was very challenged and there was a part of me that was really resistant because uh, I still have some old narratives in my head about not being good at math and all these kinds of things. Mm. I actually enjoyed it so much. Um, I'm glad. And it gave me an even bigger appreciation for underwriting, which is what Ann Lynn does at, at my firm and really how an investor should be thinking about investing. And it was just, you know, if anyone likes to learn structured course, such as the one that you offer through UCLA extension. Mm-hmm. I just can't speak highly enough about that. And I read blogs and I listen to podcasts and I do all the things that everybody does, but there's really nothing like being taught in a very linear, specific way. And so I just appreciated that so much from <laughs> you. And that's why I wanted to charming. have you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you have a, just so much experience, and B, your phenomenal teacher and your ability to describe technical concepts simply is a real skill that Thank I appreciate. You.
0: Yeah, well, that's our job as an instructor, right? Is try to, you know, take complex concepts and reduce them down to simple terms.
1: Yeah. And even though the concepts in real estate to me aren't necessarily complex, they are many and they can get confusing and and then we don't really know what to look at if we don't know where to start and that was a really that was a really big piece of it for me was like okay well where do we start and what i realized in this and even though i have a background in finance but that was so long ago i hadn't took a course again hadn't taken a course again was this idea of the discount rate yeah yeah and so for our investors listening why do we focus on the discount rate and not the market rate or the cap rate? I really would love for you to talk about that.
0: My pleasure. Cap rate is the single most misunderstood term in the vernacular for sure. And really, 98% of the time when I speak to very intelligent, experienced people like yourself, you're actually talking about your discount rate you're not talking about a cap rate. A cap rate is, is really a market-derived term that we dig out of the market with our sales comps, and we calculate it on actual sales. Okay, It's not a return. It's not an ROI or an IRR. It's, it's basically the, me- the market's measure of risk on year one NOI of an investment. And as an investment broker and analyst, I don't look at anything earlier than year three year one is completely unstable. Year two, you're lucky if you're even breaking even. And then year three, maybe you start seeing some returns. So when I compare a cap rate, say, to an overall yield, which might be IRR, it doesn't even compare. It's meaningless, frankly. It's We don't negotiate it. It's just really an assumption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas a discount rate is my target yield. That's my desired yield. And I taught you in class how to build it. And it's really just my if you want to use your terms, MARR, it's my hurdle rate, you know, plus yeah. a little additional measure of risk for, for my yield, and I have to make make that for this to make sense. Yeah, and that's that's how I compare them. They're 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 apples and oranges for sure, and the math isn't even the same.
1: Yeah, I loved the discount rate calculation because mm-hmm. it it forces one to actually understand their cost of capital Correct. in addition to what they perceive as risk and what they want to be receiving for the risk that they perceive so even though it's math right and technical it's actually extremely subjective like my discount, completely my discount rate is going to be very different than yours very different than than other than other people's yeah. but if we don't start from the discount rate then just going you know just showing up and saying oh I want this cap rate, like you said, you said like you can always tell if an investor is like a real like consummate like investor when th- when you ask them their discount rate and they mm-hmm. get shifty and they don't know what you're talking about. Or if they have yeah, their eyes glaze
0: over, rate. you know, yeah, like, what you're talking know. about.
1: Yeah, they <laughs> don't know. And I think it's a really important concept because that actually really helped me a lot, even in my investing in my portfolio overall. Mm-hmm you know, in this rising, rising rate environment, my cost of capital, should I wish to draw, let's say on my line of credit, which I was doing when it was like sub 2%, is very different than today when it's like hovering around six. And I'm like, well, you know, after tax, does the risk I'm taking over here make sense on like, let's say like something that's interest bearing and it just completely alters the landscape. And it made me that one simple concept made me such a better investor even with all my years of experience wow. so yeah no I'm it's really important we don't do that we're you know even when we present deals and I want to talk about this and and, and what you're doing because commercial real estate in this environment is is shifting and I think we really Rapidly. need to be we are in 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 the cycle as well but like that concept i really encourage people to really understand it and to have that discount rate in place and also know that it will change with our risk tolerance on what's going on out there and it just makes us better better investors but love uh, it love it yeah no i mean sometimes you know like you said like There's so many different ratios and ways to calculate. And even when we learned about different ways to calculate different kinds of yields and so many, you know, so many things that can be really confusing, but actually if you just lock down one or two that you can get really comfortable with, including present value and future value and your discount rate, everything else simplifies itself,
0: right? I, I, absolutely, very insightful. I, I probably taught you a half a dozen different ROIs alone, and and the most meaningful thing you can do is just pick one that speaks to you, and then and then use it because you have to measure your yield during your holding period because some of these assets you're holding on to indefinitely. As yeah. a money manager, I'm sure you've got an exit plan, but yeah, so it's meaningful that way. And and an ROI is not an IRR. That's
1: know? right. Yeah. Yeah, and to your point, as a lot of people know or can imagine, we're holding assets longer than we expected to. And you know, in in our model with, with syndication, like we're going to be holding for 3 to 5 years depending, and there were some opportunities that were meant to sell in, you know, 18 months and they were meant to sell around now and they're not selling. So we've been really focusing in on asset management and changing the strategy around these assets in order to service debt and, and position them to grow the NOI and sell them, you know, and sell them later. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in your experience, cause you have 40 years, right? Close to
0: it. Yeah. Wow. I've really been in the business since 19. I'm 63 years old now, but professionally after college, yeah. Oh God, 30, 38, 40 years. Wow. Percent. And
1: has that always been in LA?
0: Yes. Yes. I'm i I'm a proud Angelino and I, know every corner. I know every tenant and it, it's just makes most sense to me. It doesn't mean I don't work in Orange County or Santa Barbara or whatever, sure. but sure. North LA County is my primary
1: market. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious because LA is one of the, you know, it's considered, I, I believe one of the major markets in real estate in the country like new york la you know how would one look at the la market relative to other markets is it a leading market do people look at la like they look at new york and say oh that's what's going to happen in the rest of the country or has it changed now where every market really is its own thing and isn't as correlated to other markets
0: i'm a firm believer that every property every street every neighborhood every county every state Every region, every gateway city mm-hmm. is is its own unique living, breathing market, without question. You can have two buildings that were built by the same developer sitting side by side, mm-hmm. and I purchased it 20 years ago from the developer, and then you just purchased it from the third or fourth generation owner. Your profile is going to be completely different than mine. Right. And likewise, if we're comparing New York, who has a completely different economic engine to San Francisco, who has completely different economic engines to Seattle, so forth, you know, you, you have to respect them and, and understand that how they're behaving may affect you, but Mm -hmm. you really, really do need to look inward. Real estate is local. Let's be clear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when we think about that for, just in, in general, wherever someone is investing. And, you know, like I live in Los Angeles and I've, I've been here for a decade and and this is a feeling. So I'll use the word, I feel like- Feelings matter. If it, okay. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay. I know so many successful investors that with the utmost humility have, have half the background that I do and they're really successful intuitively. It's, it's, right. it's incredible. They have no idea what I'm talking about.
1: I feel like that's me sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I feel like that's me. Sometimes I've always been really successful in real estate Because I do, I use that intuition a lot to understand, I think what it is is behavior patterns um, and what might be going on in like certain neighborhoods like versus others. And then there was the technical knowledge that we learned how cities and, and just like real estate develops around like whether it's distribution hubs or like schools and basically infrastructure. But LA seems to be like, despite like the articles about flight, everybody leaving California, everybody leaving LA, it really doesn't seem like... LA is having a hard time at all?
0: No, you know, we're the second largest city in the country and we, in terms of real estate, I would say we're a leading indicator okay. if that one, because I have that question lingering over me right now. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to say the three or four major gateway cities that, that you mentioned are are in fact leaders. Okay. okay. And what, how we're behaving and how the metrics are shaping up do affect other markets. My feeling, I guess to use your term, about LA is still very optimistic. We're constantly evolving. Just take the example of our adaptive reuse of our downtown core over the last 20 years. That has had profound ramifications in the entire county literally. Catalytic projects like Staples Center or SoFi Stadium, for example, is yes. really new. And the airport renovation. It's multi-generational economic engine. Some of the industries that, that have a profound effect on our real estate is the tech industry. We now have more tech jobs in LA than San Francisco does.
1: Wow. Literally,
0: literally. And I can go on and on about that, but I feel very optimistic about LA's resilience. Yeah. Um, I think fundamentally, I wanted to share with you that when you look at desirable markets, like say the West Side of Los Angeles, we all understand what that means, and that will tend to be a little bit more volatile than less desirable markets, say like South LA. Mm-hmm. Okay, the occupancies, the the rent levels are are fairly predictable and stable in in less desirable areas, higher risk areas. You deserve a higher risk, right, because of the demographic and the condition of the properties and
1: right. the like. Right.
0: However, but you will find that there will be opportunities as we get down further into the contraction side that you may want to bring some capital back into LA for those that low-hanging fruit. But then again, it's just gonna spike. As soon as we get past the recession, it's gonna spike and you got to get out.
1: So you think that we're at the like in the cycle we're almost at the top is that is we're out of
0: euphoria. We're clearly in oversupply technically speaking for the last three, I think out of four quarters, we've been in a recession economically speaking. Right. So yeah, the real estate market, as I taught you, always lags the general economy, yeah. but it's, it's it's something you've got to be aware of. And we are going to be entering a recession. I, I subscribe to a lot of economists, but Larry Summers is my favorite. Yeah. And he, he predicts a, a very long, not long, but let's call it protracted period of, of higher unemployment than we're used to, higher interest rates, of course, than we're used to over you know, the last two generations yeah. since Greenspan was in charge. Mm-hmm. And we all have to make that adjustment. so when your re- possibilities for refinancing, you use the word repositioning. I like that word I love that word and you know you're gonna have to considering your cost of capital when you're doing your refinancing or dispositions
1: yeah yeah, there's a lot to consider going into it i you know I speak to a lot of investors and I think this word recession really scares everyone and mm-hmm. and like you said, technically we've been in one. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't purport to know everything or know everyone in the world or even in L.A., but like when I go around, I don't see a recession. I don't I don't see it. I see a lot of and I'm curious to, to, to get your take because you. I think you travel around a lot more in the city. I never leave my house. I, you know, like you're out there all the time. I don't see a lot of recession. I see full restaurants. I see, you know, I see a lot of like help signs. I see a lot of people out. I see, I like, I see them everywhere. The data, when I see it come out in business journals, et cetera, paints us maybe a slightly different picture, but out in the world doesn't seem like, like people are not spending or not working.
0: Well, that's what the fed's trying to do, right? It's trying to stop, you know, they're not trying to stop the, the working class. They're, they're trying to stop us. And, and yeah. so we, we have to stop spending and that's what it's all about. And we have to hurt the corporations enough with the lack of spendings that, where they're going to start dropping the prices. They're in control of it.
1: Right. So, they um, seem to be succeeding at some asset destruction. Some they're wealth. going to
0: force a recession right now. It's going to be done.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, even with this rate hike, I'm curious to talk about maybe something a little more technical as well, which is like, we have another 75 basis point. There's going to be mm-hmm. a. Something in December, maybe seventy-five, maybe fifty. Like who knows? Really, it's really anyone's guess. And the stock market reacts, and the bond market seems to be bipolar at mm. <laughs> like at a minimum, like psychosis. It seems like. And but when you know, as real estate investors, one of the primary things that we use is debt. And I've seen a lot of articles, and I've I've started to see people talk about negative leverage. Would you be able to talk about that a little bit in terms of like, what does that mean an investor to know? And also as an investor, shouldn't stop investing right now just because they're scared of some recession, because that's what I hear a lot. Oh, I'm scared. I don't want to invest. And you shouldn't not invest out of fear. But I've seen a lot of stuff about negative leverage and the way that lenders are are repositioning and asking different things in order to feel comfortable with still relatively high prices for assets. Asset prices have not, they don't seem to have come down very much. So what is negative leverage and why should we be concerned about it or at least informed about it?
0: Okay. First of all, I would not recommend investing in a negative leverage environment. First of all, and simply stated negative leverage is, is really where your returns are less are less than your cost of capital. Therefore, it's also reflected in terms of interest-only loans. You've seen a lot of that, okay? Yes. And, and that's really the same. And we are entering that market right now. Okay. Rapidly increasing interest rates, shrinking returns, shrinking rent, shrinking occupancy. It's It's just going to be a function of life for the next, I'm going to say, three years. But um, you have to be picky and choosy and maybe looking outside of low cap rate markets that we're sort of used to seeing and just sort of parking your money and, you know, maybe holding it a little bit longer and taking advantage of your tax benefits and these types of things. That's a very common ploy, as you know.
1: Yeah. So if the cost, I can
0: send you a really good article I wrote on negative leverage if you like. And maybe you can share that with some of your investors later.
1: Oh, please. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I think it's important for people to understand because we're coming out of an environment where, you know, a lot of people for high velocity flips were doing Mm -hmm. floating rate debt Mm -hmm. funds, Mm -hmm. interest only. And with cap, maybe they bought rate caps, maybe not, but those don't work anymore. And so, what does that mean? So, so if an investor had been used to that, now they're looking at, okay, well, so fixed rate debt, amortizing, and oh, it's the other thing. So, it's fixed rate debt, amortizing, and lower leverage. Mm-hmm. So, maybe they were levered up 80%, and now a lender won't go maybe higher than, I don't know, 60, 65. So, you have to raise more equity.
0: All my underwriting is at 60 right now. Okay. Yeah, the level of leverage or LTV is super, super important in this discussion of negative leverage. Right. You you, you need to be very well aware of your leverage.
1: Yeah. And I actually just saw today a TREP article that came out that said that they're weighted on like a weighted average basis. Cap rates in September were still 4%. That's Mm -hmm. awfully low Mm -hmm. now. Everything lags, right? I'm curious to hear what you think of. I
0: don't buy that. I'm I'm focused on a couple of assets. I'm bringing the market first quarter next year and third quarter next year. And been doing a lot of study on all product types, frankly, and we are in a decompressing cap rate environment right now. I would say, realistically speaking, LA is closer to the high fives than fours. They're going to be pockets in in areas that I don't need to tell you are, are going to be extremely low for a while. But they're going to start feeling the effect as well. But I I think for the average investor, you should be looking for cap rates around six right now.
1: Wow. On which asset types?
0: All asset types, for sure. For sure. I tend to be most favorable towards, here's the, I guess, the food chain, probably industrial, then residential, then office and retail, retail being the worst.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: Most risky. I also want to add to this discussion that I've been reading an awful lot and studying past appraisals and and current appraisals, and everybody's still worrying about the lagging effect of the pandemic, because we're not out of this yet.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. Pandemic is involved in very smart people's evaluation of value. I'm going to wait at maybe 25%. The pandemic still. Yeah. So consider that.
1: Is that from, so lagging, so they still have some drag yes from that oh
0: yeah yeah retail you know I'm a kind of a retail specialist right
1: right? but
0: I I do a lot of other products too but office just how we've changed our lifestyle and and live work balance and working remotely and all these things we're probably going to be seeing a lot of conversion of say let's call it b minus c plus office off the beaten path and all the gateway cities are going to be converted to housing
1: which we need right
0: and it's easy it's an easy fix it should happen And employers should be more flexible to make it happen.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that one of the things that's always fascinated me about real estate is the way is actually the creativity in the industry. I think it's one of the most creative industries with like, whether it's from the financing, like structuring, creative structuring, but all the way down to like what you can do with the buildings themselves. I remember when the pandemic first hit and we were having conversations on, on the podcast, I remember thinking like, why don't you just turn all those like kind of dead strip malls into like pop-up hospital beds to help with the pandemic and all like you could do so much to help the situation and then you can see that there are a lot of buildings now so like two years later being converted not into pop-up hospitals but the whole office to housing conversion mm-hmm. in big mm-hmm. cities as well or mm-hmm. hotel to the homeless
0: yeah yes yeah yeah i love that we we are really creative and that's what I really love about l a we are innovators here we're we're one of the you know this is the tenth largest economy in the world here twenty five mile radius around the CBD so yeah. put that in perspective California is was just named the fourth largest the economy in California is larger than Germany
1: Wow well especially now <laughs> with with the, with the manufacturing issues out there
0: yeah. think about it
1: wow that's,
0: that's insane and and I'm really proud about that yeah. And so we're, our use and flexibility and innovation as it relates to real estate, it, you see it all, all around town. It, it doesn't stop. It never stops. Google purchasing the West Side Pavilion and creating live work lofts and creative space, it, all that stuff. I mean, this isn't such a, a traumatic explanation, but we used to build, Northrop used to build F-14s down in Hawthorne, and that's where the rocket ship factory is. I've been in it, you know, SpaceX. So it's neat how we're constantly evolving.
1: Yeah, there's so much growth. I used to, I lived in Inglewood before I moved here to Topanga. And so mm-hmm. we bought a mm-hmm. home right before they announced the SoFi stadium. So we did, we did really, we did very well. Awesome. Renovated that home and exited during the pandemic when everybody wanted to move in that area. Mm -hmm. has been growing so much. So again, like, like you're saying, like, and even my pocket of Inglewood was very different than the Inglewood right by the stadium. Mm -hmm. And so property prices were different and the neighborhood was different. And yet, and even though with all this development happening in Inglewood, they still only had three people at building and planning so like getting permits I know is I've been in there. you know there's like three people and in LA there's like a tower of people yeah that you can like walk in and get a permit like over the counter to do your kitchen and in Inglewood it could take like you forever because they were also trying to deal with like SoFi Stadium permits and those were like the, the good old days of when I lived there but that's just to say that like throughout even my experience of being here the market like I moved here in 2012 so when you know, when houses on the canals in Venice were like low at like two, three million, because that was, a ju- we were just right at hitting, starting to come up from great recession and.
0: Kinney, all that.
1: Yeah, all you know, of just it took off. It's bananas. I think it's like the most expensive. Is it the most expensive? It's one of
0: them. Yeah, it's very, it's very retail. close to being the most expensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually curious about that because you do so much retail because I remember it being hit really hard. So you know, with the pandemic and retail got hit so hard, like which are the areas in retail that have come back or is all retail still lagging?
0: I look for pockets of redevelopment. That's really okay. what I'm interested in. And I'm also interested in catalytic projects like you mentioned, SoFi Stadium and these types of things. So new neighborhoods being, I hate this term, but regentrified gentrified yeah. as we speak. So I don't need to tell you, a lot of the previously undesirable neighborhoods that just kind of ring our CBD are coming back huge, like East Hollywood, Echo Park, yeah. lots of East LA, Lincoln yeah. Heights, the ballpark would never go into, forgive me, you may want to edit this out, but Lincoln Heights, I would have never gone in during even the day when I was your age. Yeah. It's really remarkable the growth. And so that's what I'm I, I would say are where your little golden nuggets are still going to be in this town. I still think and believe strongly that fundamental real estate dictates buy what you know close to home or the office. And to me, that translates into about 75 miles. You know, clearly. As you look outward for yield, you know, traditional markets are still very good investments like in Texas. And I got a guy that's getting out of the garment district right now. He does really well. He's one of these intuitive guys. He has no idea what I'm talking about. And he's just pouring all of his cash into Texas and he's doing really well still. still. Phoenix, Vegas is still attractive.
1: We invest in Phoenix and Vegas. Those were two markets that we invested a lot. Mm -hmm. And we, we paused on that because the, you know, the cap rates were too ish, that uncomfortable. And that was before, you know, that was before the interest rate hike. So we were seeing some really, really low cap rates that mm-hmm. because of the whole relationship with debt, regardless mm-hmm. of you know, was still like, it didn't seem reasonable. And we stopped, we didn't do anything in those markets. And that that was the right decision. That was a data driven, partly intuitive. Yeah. I mean, at that, like where the assets were priced in the spring, Mm -hmm. I think that was the right thing for us to stop when, when we did just, just because of. You know, they were being bought with floating rate debt as well. So for now, I mean, there's still really high growth markets. I mean, it's because we do a lot of multifamily. So a lot of housing based. We also do single family rental portfolios and we do repositioning senior housing as well. So distressed Mm. senior housing. So anything Mm. housing based, we, we really focus on with our operating partners. And um,
0: I will keep that in mind.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, so that's like, that's for us where we like to look at needs based and sometimes we'll do some, some different types of affordable, just depending on how those are positioned and and how those are run. But those high growth markets are still showing a lot of, a lot of signs of strength. And I know one of the questions that I get a lot from my investors is, you know, because of the recession, what happens if people start losing their jobs, what happens, you know, what happens to rents? And that's something that we have not seen yet. We're starting to see a little bit of slowing rent growth, but it's still magnitudes higher than it was at underwriting and even like, like last year. So, you know, using that as an example, how like there's so much media and we're bombarded all the Mm -hmm. time by all this media that tells us to be afraid really. And how, like, how would you recommend that, that somebody digest that, that kind of media or information when then they're looking at, you know, they might see a headline that says, you know, rents are plummeting. And it's like, maybe it's like down, I don't know, two, 3%, but it's still up 30%. What would you say to somebody that is like evaluating some syndications or some projects and they're they're having some of this fear from the articles, like what would be your advice to them?
0: I think we all have to be sensitive to the data, you know, because in real estate, we have this wonderful thing where we lag the rest of the economy and we have the luxury of time. We have tea leaves, we have crystal balls that actually tell us, you know, how to behave. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the metrics that we all have to be aware of are really basic, you know, occupancy, rent, cost of capital, you know these really basic metrics and make your own decisions your existing portfolio if you've bought it in the last anything you know in the last you said year which is really impressive but i would say anything two years to five years back you have nothing to worry about just sit and wait until you have to refinance and make your adjustment then or get out right, right? new assets it's time to temper your enthusiasm i know we want to turn turns a bad word but we, we want to keep investing Right. I am typically very 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 optimistic but but I temper that okay mm-hmm. it's super 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 easy and it sounds really really smart it, it isn't it interesting that that the people that really kind of sound smart are always pessimistic <laughs> yeah, have you awesome. noticed that yeah, you awesome. read anything you you watch anything it's like yeah. you know there's there's four guys that are just really pessimistic and they sound really really smart and there's the one guy that might be a little disheveled and he's working harder than everybody else making more money than anybody else and he's the optimistic guy
1: yeah. <laughs> I love or that. gal right yeah. yeah
0: and so I try to be that guy
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and you're like super, super smart and you have all like you have all this like technical knowledge that like when you're you I mean there's nothing, you just can't replace like all of that experience and knowledge that processes, like we might call it intuition. It's a form of just like your your brain being able to go and, and pick up through knowledge and experience, like you've experienced so much. And this is why experience matters so much to making like intuitive decisions, I think, is because you're actually drawing upon like, you know, it's called like non-local intuition or like non-local intelligence. We have it stored in different parts of the brain and it'll pull it up and say, I remember in your head, you're not consciously saying this, but this happened this time. And this is what was going on at that time. And then it cross references what's going on today. And it allows you to be able to make like really quick decisions or, or judgments, which you know, even though real estate is a long game, there are moments where you have to be able to trust that instinct. And like you said, like, if you bought in the past, like two, five mm-hmm. years, you are totally fine. You're perfect. And, I, and we feel the same way. We feel like, were Don't do it because the <laughs> underwriting was based on data. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but right now, we and are. And performance
0: guessing. exceeded your data, I bet.
1: So much. Yeah. So much. So much over But
0: now you got to be more cautious. Yes. Be a little yeah. more cautious, but be optimistic. Yes. Be the optimistic person in the room.
1: Right. You're I the am. smarter one. Actually. I always am. I always am the optimist. I'm always so, And I think like, people might not like consider me like the smartest person in the room. And I'm fine with that because I'm certainly not the most technical, but I like to look at things optimistically. And I know that the real estate industry is so resilient. Like you said, you actually said, like mm-hmm. we want to be transacting. Like mm-hmm. once you start investing, it's, mm-hmm. it's like you want to keep doing it because you see more opportunities. And then in a city like LA, where there's constant opportunities, Opportunity And there's constant like room for growth. And like, I've watched the downtown district just turn into this thriving, you know, it's thriving now and, and like the waterfall effect throughout the rest of LA. And, and it's just like, you, you want to, you want to hold that optimism as an investor and, and temper it with data to your point. Correct. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you said to be an optimist because that's. Oh.
0: So. It's easier even in life and, and people, when, when I look at them, people, it, it's easier to be destructive than it is constructive. I really, really take that to heart. And and I don't want to be the destructive guy.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: because it's really easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to be like, I, for whatever reason, the, the word troll came to mind just because in our world yeah. with social media, it's yeah. easier to troll someone and just throw really bad comments out. And rather than engage yeah. in a meaningful way that that might expose you and your optimism that, that maybe somebody else can come and attack. And I'm kind of over that because I'm not gonna get every trade right. I'm not gonna get every investment right. I'm gonna, I can do diligence, the you know the crap out of it and still something's gonna happen that'll throw it off in the first month and the pro forma's out <laughs> the week Sure, Because we can only ever do our best. And when we're invested in real estate, We're able to, because we're locked in, because we're our own worst enemies in real estate, we can't be, right? Because Mm -hmm. we can't sell it right away when we're freaking out because, you know, we can't feel liquid, the illiquidity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that saves us from ourselves. (laughs) It
0: it is. And, And like I said, luxury of time, right? Yeah. So we can we can read the tea leaves and we can't redeem it like our stock tomorrow. Yeah. So we're we're constantly changing and don't be afraid to just change direction.
1: Yeah. Know. Yeah, to be able to pivot. And so I'm curious, yeah. what kind of assets are you bringing to market next year? Like, where are you seeing still opportunity uh, and optimism yeah. in the market?
0: I'm working on two shopping centers right now in North LA County, and they're both priced about. 13, we, we've priced them at 13, 14 million. They're unanchored retail centers. One's a beautiful newish, you know, under 20 years old center mm-hmm. in a upper middle class neighborhood. And the other is like right in the heart of the city. And that's all I can tell you right now. Okay. But I'm very excited about it. I'll share some information with you
1: yeah. confidentially yeah. Um,
0: when we're ready, but we're getting really, really close to signing the listings and getting the marketing underway. So I'll we'll give a few people the first look, yeah, and, and then I'll publish.
1: And when you bring those to market, you said that it's unanchored. Is it that? And I'm curious also just for people listening, because I know that people invest in all kinds of different asset classes or asset types. Do you bring that to market with some leases in place? Oh or? yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, there there is one vacancy at each. One has ten tenant spaces, all really you know credit tenants, yeah. And the other is is more of a traditional strip center with a good mix of national regional and local tenants. And there's only one vacancy there too. So, And they've been, we're just finishing up some repositioning. I put together a repositioning plan for the client and we're just completing construction right now on those rehabs and okay. there's no debt involved. They're going to do really well.
1: Oh, wow. Are those considered triple net lease? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All
0: of them are pure. Well, not pure. That's a technical term. Let's yeah. just call them triple net leases.
1: So I had someone on, they said that triple net lease opportunities are like a bond wrapped in real estate. <laughs> kind of. A, yeah. And right. I think
0: they're talking about that. That's the traditional single tenant, pure right. triple net lease. Yeah, That's really what it is with a triple A credit tenant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's th- those are just clipping coupons.
1: Right. Which is not a bad thing these days with interest rates being what they are. And again, going back to the discount rate and going back to your cost of capital and going like, what do you want? And what do you want to feel safe with? Like the the, Those are safe. Yeah. Oh, well, that's exciting. Well, it's good to know because I think a lot of people have this, like their heart stops when you say shopping center or retail, but really like lately I've seen some things where they're, you know, people want to go to the mall, even the mall, like they just, you know, like e-commerce boomed and then it's sort of, has reverted a little bit back to the mean and people want to be out in LA we have these big beautiful like open air malls and lifestyle malls lifestyle okay that's the trend yeah the
0: grove we would technically term a lifestyle mall yeah those are the trend along the sunbelt for sure
1: yeah okay Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always like, I'm always optimistic. I always say like right now, like it's just a bear market. We're in a bear market. We'll get through it. It's just a recession. We'll get through it. And yeah, I have a lot of optimism for, for the space in, in general. And I want to ask you like two more questions. One Take that I time. forgot, I forgot to ask you at the, at the beginning when we were talking about, about the teaching you've been teaching for 20 years. Close to me. What do you love about teaching? Like, why do you keep doing it? You have a full oh. job. <laughs>
0: Well, I I think I said, I've been in in commercial real estate since I was 19. I just fell into it. And after college, I got my license and just started my thing. I've had my own shop for over 30 years now. And teaching is as you age, right? is, is something that you can do in addition to your practice. I still work 50, 55 hours on my practice every week. The reason I teach is 25 percent I give back to my profession. I think that's very important. I've been president of very prestigious commercial estate associations in the past, including CCIM. And that's kind of how the volunteerism I gave. I've stepped back from that because that became a part-time job. And I would do a lot of volunteerism with my church still, but I sat on the board and just ran a ministry and it was just too much. So I've quit those non-paying jobs. And I love teaching. So giving back to my profession is one. 50% of it is self-promotion mm. because I, I've literally sold buildings to students. I've repositioned estates for their families. I've purchased buildings from students, employers. I've, I've sold and, and, and purchased buildings from teachers. You know, So yeah. that's a big part of it. It's promotion. And then the other 25% is therapy. Because, you know, smart people like you keep me sharp, especially young people, right? I, one of the, the big <clears throat> trends in real estate now are people who are entering retirement age. I'm 63 years old. I'll probably work until I die, but mm-hmm. that's just who I am. We're all flocking to downtown cores and, and, and around universities because we want the culture and, and, and we want the youth in our lives. And so that's kind of part of it, too. Being around a beautiful property like UCLA is such an honor. I feel like it's an honor every time I'm there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I teach.
1: Oh, wow. That's incredible. Keep, keep me sharp. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes that makes a lot of sense on that, too. And it sort of goes, coincides a little bit with the, like, why we always want to keep learning and yeah. Even in a even in a structured you know even in a structured setting and and I did appreciate I mean I'm like a natural like networker it comes really yeah. naturally to me. You're now. really good
0: at it, I can tell. Thank <laughs> you, you. You are. Know,
1: even you you said to and because there were a lot of young people in you know in this class and you were really encouraging them to network and I could tell and I could see myself in them like 20 years ago when I was in my 20s like. When, you know, they were like a little awkward and didn't really know how to network and like thinking it was a thing instead of just being yourself. And, and so like, and that was important. Like you had everyone do like the LinkedIn exercise and connect. My
0: top goal. So my top goal, Uh, if you can make a a good friend in Mm -hmm. class, that's, that's what I challenge people to do.
1: Yeah. 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 No, I loved it. And I'm actually contemplating doing another, another one of the other courses, just as like something to do, maybe not like every single quarter, because I did put a lot of time into it because I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sign up for something and then fail and, and <laughs> not put in the time because it's a of lot of work. Putting in the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And they're not
0: cheap either. And now no. that we're kind of going back to campus, uh, I think the way they're going to structure it is, is half online, half on campus, just so that there's that interaction.
1: Yeah, Um, because I
0: think people were craving that and I was I know that
1: yeah they are yeah hence the retail hence the malls hence the like everybody going out and like it's like we're finding like a happy medium in between the online world and and like the offline world i don't think we're ever going to be a fully digital society no matter what anyone Mm -hmm. says like Mm -hmm. i understand what the metaverse is and i think there's going to be a lot of opportunity there to do digital transactions of all kinds but i but i actually think that there's going to be a a fierce return to in-person interactions that are going to make in-person even more valuable than it was pre-pandemic. That's I love pre-pandemic.
0: your outlook. I really do. I feel the same way. Yeah. You and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. And yeah. and I firmly believe in humanity. And I firmly believe we're all going to be coming back together. Yeah. This is just a blip.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, last question, which is what does wealth mean to you?
0: What does wealth mean to you?
1: To yeah. me? Yeah. To
0: me, I've, I've got two parts to it. Mm-hmm. The most wealthiest people I know, and I consider myself one of them, is surrounded by your family and friends. That to me is more important than money. And then ultimately wealth would be the ability to control your future and not worry whether it's intellectual capital or financial capital about your future and your family's future. That's my definition of it. Yeah. That's what I think we all strive for. I don't spend every waking minute in the pursuit of of cash. You know, I'm I'm not addicted to cash. Yeah. You know, it's important that I spend time with, with people that I love and respect and people respect me.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that so much. It's a, it's a wonderful outlook and such a great way to close out the podcast. So thank you so much for taking right time and having this conversation. It's so great to see you again. And, you. and we'll put in the show notes where people can find you, but maybe just, you know, just here for those that are listening to this, you know, what's the best way for them to reach you if they're listening and like want to immediately connect.
0: Well, if you want me to share my email, I'm still very much into email. So my email, if you want to even put it on it, is Mm -hmm. is tweaver at Mm synergycre.com. And my cell number is fine, 818-388-3075. And go to uclaextension.com or edu and look at the catalog. I teach six classes. Oh, wow. yeah, hope to see in class. Hope to see across the negotiation table.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe we'll enter the retail space. That
0: would be nice with, yeah. with
1: Alpha. It's an interesting. I'll follow up
0: with thing. that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again so much. Thanks,
0: Autopia, for having me.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode, and especially we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alpha And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.